2 Kings chapter 5, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible in front of you. Uh, The text will be on the screen, uh, but if you're like me, you like to read the Bible and you like to read what's before or after, or maybe even you think of something during and you want to flip over, that's fine. Uh, Please do what you like. It's on, oh gosh, I should have brought my reading glasses, page 336. And I have to to tell you... as we get started, I've had so much fun so far going through this sermon series. Oh, no, thanks. I've I got to be honest, going through some of these stories in the Bible that we don't usually teach on is really fun for me. Uh, and, and on top of that, it, it's been very encouraging to me because I see so many people in Scripture doing great things, and tonight is no different. Tonight it's the story of someone who we don't even have their name. I absolutely love it. Last week we talked about Abigail, if you remember the woman who kept David from making a big, big mistake. And, and tonight, we're getting even more obscure. We just have a very brief history and someone who is just known as Naaman's wife's maid. So please join with me, if you will, in reading Second Kings chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 14. Naaman, commander of the, commanding, sorry, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master. By him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel. She served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. And he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life? That this man sends a word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard what the king had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me so that he may learn there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go, Wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became very angry and went away saying, I thought, that, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached him, said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said was, go wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, For background, we are in a a story in the book of Kings, which is sort of a tense and difficult time. 
Uh, the kingdom of Israel has actually been divided. The southern part is called Judah and has a separate king than the northern part, Israel. And at this time, Aram, which is modern-day Syria, uh, sort of northeast uh, of Syria. Some Bibles, your Bible may say Syria or Syrians. Uh, it's the same thing. Um, was sort of in constant opposition to the nation of Israel. They were in constant opposition to God and the people of God. And in fact, the, the Syrians or the Arams, or the people from Aram, would actually get taken over about 120 years later by a group called Assyria, which is a little different. And then eventually they would go through and conquer Israel as well. So it's a tumultuous time for this area of the world. And, and, and we learn that this, this nation has a man named Naaman, who is a great man, says he was highly regarded. But there was one major problem. He had leprosy. And, and, and to this day, there is no cure for leprosy. These spots would form, and they would eventually turn white, and eventually they would take over the whole body and be the source of death. And so we learn in verse 2 that on one of their raids, the Syrians or the Aramites went down into Israel and took some people with them to serve for them, to be their servants. And, and it tells us here that they had captured a young girl, an Israelite, and she was working in the service of Naaman's wife. And in verse 3, she speaks up. She speaks up. Now maybe she had a great relationship with Naaman's wife, Maybe she was a, just a teenage girl and just never stopped talking. But, but, but for whatever reason, she says, and we have this line that, hey, too bad you're at war with Israel. Too bad you don't live in Samaria. Because if you did, there's a prophet there that could heal you. No problem. It's a bummer. You know, too bad. I don't know where this comes from. We have no evidence here of background, theological education, that, that she had great faith. She just says this one wonderful line. And if you think about the, the context and the setting, Naaman's wife was probably really upset. Naaman's wife was probably talking to her servants and talking to her friends about what are we going to do? Naaman has leprosy. He's going to die. There's no cure. And this girl probably, in caring for her master and doing the best that she could, probably said, you know, in the land where I come from, there's a prophet who's a mighty man of God who could heal your husband. And it's obvious that this Naaman and his king and was a very important man, that they are willing to do whatever it costs because they sent him with a great gift. The king sends Naaman with a great gift behind him to say, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send you to this country with this, all of this gold and this, and this silver and this clothing, and we're going to see if we can get their prophet to heal you. You are a great general. You are in high esteem. He's a great officer. Why not? It's a death sentence anyways. He has leprosy. He's going to die. He's not going to make it any worse. So let's go and let's see if there is a prophet in Israel. And then as the story continues, things get a little bit weird with the king of Israel. It's not something that we normally do, but the king of Israel tears his robes. He tears his clothes not something we do today, but in ancient times and in biblical times, this was actually a sign of mourning. This was a sign of sadness. This was a sign of great distress. In fact, in the Bible, it tells us that, that kings and leaders would do this occasionally, but that it was such a sign of distress that the priests were forbidden from doing it, which is why it's so amazing that when Caiaphas, the high priest, before Jesus, rips his robes. But anyways, 
So here, the king of Israel tears his robes, and in sort of a dramatic speech, right, he's, he's kind of playing this up. He says, am I God? I can't do this. Why are you coming to me to heal you? I can't do this. He's greatly distressed. And, and, and the king actually feels like it's a trap. The king says, here comes this great general from an opposing land asking for healing. Now, now what's going to happen when I can't heal him? What's going to happen when he doesn't get better? They're going to be angry with us. They're going to be very upset with us, and he's going to start a fight. This whole thing is a trick. The king knows he can't do the healing, and the king lacks the faith that there is a prophet in Israel who can. And so he tears his clothes in distress, saying, what are you doing here? There's no way out of this. He is so distraught. And we immediately in this story see a sign of very poor leadership and fear for the king of Israel. And enter the prophet Elisha in verse 8, who gives a sort of sarcastic response that I love. It, it, it's great to me. Elisha just writes in this letter and says, why, why did you tear your clothes? That's kind of silly. Like, why did you do that? It's fine. Send him to me. I'll, I'll heal him. It's not a big deal for God. Leprosy is not a problem for the Lord. Send him to me. I will heal this man. And so Naaman, with all of his horses and his chariots and his great gifts of gold and silver, goes to the house of Elisha. And he is expecting what? A great ceremony. A great Elisha to come out and, as he said, wave his hand over the wound and, and call on the power of God. There's no, no doubt that Naaman has heard stories of the prophets of Israel. Elijah's, or Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, was famous for calling down the power of the Lord in front of the prophets of Baal, if you remember, and burning up the altar. Word of the Lord, is, is, is he's a famous God in, in, in this area, in this part of the world. And, and no doubt Naaman wanted to see something amazing happen. What does Elisha do? In verse 10, he sends a messenger outside and basically says, this is the same paraphrase, he basically says, hey, um, go take a bath in the Jordan River, you'll be fine. And so Naaman gets really angry. And I, I can't help but laugh because it's so what we do all the time. And like we talked about David last week, he just gets so irate. And we see the pride of this general. We see the pride of this military man wanting to be cured by the hand of the great prophet. Wanting to go before and, and have the prophet do a great ornate ceremony. But instead he's told to go take a bath. Go jump in the Jordan River, you'll be okay. He says, our rivers are better in Damascus anyways. Why would I do this here? This is so silly. I could do washing anywhere. Why did I bother to come down here? Why did we bring all of these gifts and all of these things? He didn't honor me. He didn't give me the respect I deserve. It's amazing how our pride seems to be a source of complaining in our lives. That our pride brings up our dissatisfaction with our circumstances. That we often think whether we're a great military general, whether we're a great leader or put in some great position of power, that our pride tells us we deserve more when we don't get what we feel we deserve. But Naaman had some servants around him. And his servants said, why don't you just think about it? I mean, really, you have leprosy. It's not going to get, you know, you have leprosy. You have a death sentence. It's not like it's going to hurt you any. 
And, and they even give him a good example. They say, you know, if he had called you to do something outlandish, you probably would have done it. You know, if he had called you to stand on your head and have a diet of bugs for a week, you probably would have done it. He just told you to go take a bath. Why aren't you willing to do that? Why not try the simplest reason and simplest answer? And in this story, I love it because we have this king and this great general acting like petulant children. The king of Israel tears his robes and thinks it's a trap. And Naaman is upset because the prophet didn't give him the things he deserved, even though he told him how to be healed. It's amazing. Great kings and generals are prideful and afraid while servants, unnamed servants, are acting like faithful followers of God. The unnamed people, the servants of Naaman and the servants of Naaman's wife are the ones who are the heroes of this story. And as we see at the end of our reading in verse 14, he in fact did it. He said, you're right, let's just give it a shot. And he was made clean. And if you read on, and I would encourage you to read on later tonight or tomorrow or any time this week, this story is really interesting. Naaman becomes a believer. And he says, I see there is no other God but the God of Israel. And Elisha says, no, I don't want your gift. I don't want your payment. But some of Elisha's servants who aren't so righteous say, well, maybe we want some of that goodies. They follow him down the road to get some, and they end up getting leprosy. <laughs> God has a really interesting irony, I think. But as we continue with this story for our purposes, for verses 1 to 14, uh, We've looked through the Bible at all of these people. We've looked through the Bible at, at, at Melchizedek and, and her and, and, and David and Abigail and their story. But with this person, with this servant, we have two details. One, that she was from Israel, and, and, and the other is just one line of dialogue. So why read this story? Why look at this obscure story about this person we know nothing about? Some of you may have already made the connection to our New Testament reading, but but as we look back at the story, consider it. A servant girl decides to speak up. An unnamed servant to say that if Naaman wanted to be healed, he had to go to the prophet in Israel. We don't know if she preached. We don't know if she had an active life of faith. We don't know anything about her. We don't know how much she understood or didn't understood, but she knew enough to speak up when she had an opportunity to tell of the greatness of God. She knew about the God of her people she knew about the prophet Elisha, and she knew that he was a man of God. And that, that for God, leprosy is not a big deal. As Elijah said, right? Why did you tear your clothes? Send them over to me. And as he goes with this gift, hoping for the best, along the way we find a man with no faith, the king of Israel. And if you remember back to our Advent season, we talked about when Israel first wanted a king. We talked about the passage in Deuteronomy 17 with the rules and the laws for a king. And, and Samuel told the people they would be let down. Samuel told the people, if you put your faith in a man, he will lead you away. And here we see another situation where that happens. We're putting faith in, 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 in men and in people and in the world for our leadership lets us down. The people are being let down by their king. He tears his clothes and he throws a fit. He says, this is a trap. What are you doing to me? This isn't fair. Whereas a godly man, a godly leader would have said, absolutely, Naaman. Absolutely, our God is powerful. Absolutely, our God can heal you. 
there is a prophet in Israel who can. But instead, this king, this leader, who men have placed in position of power, is ruled by his fear and his doubt. And then, this time in Naaman, we see another example of a lack of faith. But in this instance, we have pride. The pride of a man that leads to foolishness, leads to complaining, as it does in so many of us. Pride that leads to doubt and away from the blessings of God. Look at Naaman, his pride by thinking that he was better than a messenger telling him to go and wash in the Jordan almost kept him from being miraculously healed. His pride kept him from the blessings of God and from the healing of God. You know, I, I think sometimes we ask God to heal us. I think some God, sometimes we ask God to mend a wound in our life but we don't always ask from a place of submission. We don't always ask from a place of humility. Instead, sometimes we come from a place of pride like Naaman saying, I deserve this. And I think because of that, we might miss out on what God has for us sometimes. I think sometimes we might unintentionally block the healing and the power of God because we are too prideful. You see, the pride displayed in Naaman and the fear displayed by the king of Israel are bad, but when we put them together, it's an even worse combination. We see men in a leadership role leading people away from God. Both of these supposed great men could not see what the little girl saw or what the servant saw, that God could do it rather easily. Saying and doing are very different things, and we find this necessity to believe. When I see this story and I look at the example of Naaman, one of the things that really sticks out to me when we talk about this idea of faith, you know, that song we just sung about walking out in the water and keeping our eyes on God, when we follow God, when we desire to be faithful men and women, it requires work. It requires us to get over our pride, to get over our fear and do it. The prophet made a great gesture to heal Naaman. And Naaman said, that's not what I had in mind. Naaman said, I had a better plan, God. Faith is not about our plans. Faith is about trusting God that his plan is the best option. And we do this all the time. I confess, I do this all the time. Lord, I had big plans. I had this all figured out. It was going to be great. It was going to be wonderful. And God says, yeah, but that wasn't my plan. Sometimes God has a simpler plan. Sometimes God has a plan that comes in the form of an unnamed servant being faithful, not a king or a military leader. Look at verse 14 says it made him like a what? A young boy. That when Naaman was healed from his leprosy, the spots didn't just disappear, but that it made him like a young boy. And then you contrast it with verse 2, where it says that there was a young girl who had this faith in her God. Like the young girl who spoke up for God. And I can't help but see the similarity and the coincidence of this. And many biblical scholars think the same. This is an intentional detail by the author to show us, the reader, what healing and what God does to us. It makes us like children. That faith replaces our pride and our fear with trust in God. Look at our reading from Matthew chapter 18. 
The disciples went to Jesus saying, Jesus, who is the greatest? And we know their purpose. They all want to be the greatest. They're trying to figure everything out. They're trying to have an answer for everything. To try and achieve the status. And Jesus gives them an answer they did not expect. He says, be like the young child. Be like the young girl, Naaman's wife's servant. Be like the young boy that Naaman turned into after he was healed. The simplicity of their faith and belief, their trust in God. Not the pride of great men like kings and generals. Too often, those great people, supposedly great people, are often fools. And then our Lord Jesus goes one step further and he says, these children are so important. This faith is so important to me that if you step in their way, it'd be better for you if you had a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. What a harsh, harsh example. And we see that our Lord Jesus takes this very seriously. Which is why I picked this passage in 2 Kings. I don't know when the last time any of you read 2 Kings 5 was. But to me, it is a story of faith and of trust that encourages me daily. And you may say, I am no general. I am no great prophet. The heroes of this story are the unnamed servants. Last week, we talked about the company we keep with Abigail and the importance of godly influences in our lives. Tonight, let me encourage you that this story is about you. This story is about your faith. This story is about your heart and your relationship to God. What rules you? What runs your life? What dictates your actions and how you go about your day? Do you have the faith that that song was talking about without borders to walk out into the ocean trusting that God will be there? Like Peter to walk out on the water and say, you know what, Lord? All right, let's try it. Or are you ruled by your fear and your pride like the king of Israel and the general Naaman? It doesn't matter what you do or where you are in life. You are called to be faithful. God says that he knows us and that he loves us. And I I mention this all the time, but it's because it's one of my favorite passages. In Psalm 139, it says that God's thoughts of us outnumber the sand on the shore. Now, if you've ever been bored or sat on the beach and actually tried to count grains of sand on a fingertip, you lose count. Now, now how is it possible that God thinks about us that much and that deeply and that often? Because he has a plan for us. Because he's called us to great things. And we don't have to be great generals and great leaders. We can be servants in whatever we're doing. And our names may not be famous. We don't even know this girl's name. But I read her story and I'm encouraged by her. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not let pride and fear keep you from the kingdom of God. From experiencing God's kingdom and power and healing here on earth. Come to God as faithful children and servants. Leave your pride and your fear at the door. And trust that what God has, though simple, though sometimes not as dramatic as we might have thought, is the best thing for us. To experience his healing, to become like the little children that Jesus says are the greatest in the kingdom. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you for this servant girl. 
Lord, we don't know her name. But I look forward to meeting her one day and thanking her for her inspiration. Lord, I pray that each of us, whether our names are known or not, would be faithful men and women who trust you and your plans. I pray that we would not be run or controlled by fear and pride. Lord, that we would be servants of your kingdom. Lord, that we would trust that your plan is better than our plan, even if it's not as grand and big as we thought it would be. Lord, you are a good God, and we trust that your thoughts about us outnumber the sand on the shore. And because of that, we give you our lives, we give you our hearts, our anxieties, and our discomforts, trusting that you will heal us and make us like those children, that we would be examples to all who see us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this night. Lord, we ask that all of these things knowing they are heard by you, would be given to us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.